continue in our series through the, the book of Acts. Over the last few weeks, we've actually been doing a bit of a mini-series within our series in the book of Acts. And the last three messages in Acts chapter 20 have been about church leadership. And last week, we looked at three concerns that the elders should have for the flock as they protect them from fierce wolves. And today we will conclude this mini-series by looking at three more concerns that Paul highlights in his closing speech to the, the elders at Ephesus. So this morning we will be reading uh, from verse 32 to verse 33 in the book of Acts. If you would please stand with me as we read these verses in honor of God's word together. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for these inspired words, Lord, that have been recorded for us this morning. And Lord, we thank you for all the details that you have left for us to learn from. But we know, Lord, that your word is profitable for our instruction and our training in righteousness. And we ask, Lord, that you would train us, that you would instruct us today, that your spirit would open our hearts and our eyes and our, and our ears and our um, our minds to the truth from this passage and that the Spirit of God would apply it to our hearts today. So please, Lord, we pray for your help today in every way, for your glory and for our joy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Early one morning toward the end of World War II, a soldier was making his way to the, the barracks in, in London, and he saw a little boy with his nose pressed against the window of a bakery, and he was staring in silence. And the soldier's heart went out to the little boy, probably an orphan, and he said to the little boy, son, would you like one of those? And the little boy replied, oh yes, I would. And the soldier stepped inside, and he bought a dozen and he took the bag outside to the boy and said, here you are. And as he turned to walk away, he felt a tug on his coat. And he heard the child ask him quietly, Mr., are you God? Mr., are you God? Well, when we give, we act as God does. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And as God's people, we should be givers as well. In his final address to the Ephesian elders that we read here in our passage this morning, 
Paul reminds them one more time of his own example when, when he had been with them, when he had been together with them. And his example of being free from greed and of working to provide for his own needs and even for the needs of his co-workers really demonstrated to them how they too should shepherd God's flock. And more than his own example, Paul, though, told them to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And then Luke records the emotional farewell between Paul and these men who, though they had been with him for a long time, realized that they would never see his face again. And last week we finished at verse 32. And in this verse, Paul entrusted the elders, it says, to God and to the word of his grace. And that seemed like a perfect ending to, to a, a farewell, to a farewell speech. But this verse seems like the end, but it, it isn't. Paul goes on to make a concluding statement about his own feelings regarding money and his own feelings regarding the care of those in need within the body of Christ. So my first point this morning is from verse 33, and that is Paul's concern for materialism. That is the concern that all of us should have, including the elders of the church. Paul says in verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And perhaps Paul is contrasting himself with the, the false teachers that he has just warned them about. Remember last week he talked about the wolves who would come in and the wolves who would destroy the flock. And throughout the Bible, we know that false teachers are denounced for being greedy and for being covetous. And Paul's example shows us that he didn't want to be like that. He desired to have a life that was as free as possible from a spirit of materialism. And he took no money from any of the Ephesians while he ministered to them. He may have received special love gifts from other established churches at the time that we've heard about, but here, the church at Ephesus, he took no money from the Ephesian church. He did not want them to think that he was preaching the gospel to them for money, and he says so very clearly. He never wanted to confuse the issue. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 14, For I do not seek what is yours, but you. Paul was very intentional, and he made this point here to the elders that he was not in the ministry for money. The reason he was in the ministry was for souls. It was for God's glory. It was for the building up of God's church. And the goal of ministry should never be to accumulate wealth. The goal of ministry should be the welfare of the saints. And the sad reality is that there are so many so-called pastors who have gone into the ministry to make money. In an article I read this week, author Vincent de Pazzi says in his article that he titled, Pastors and Prophets, the Sly Charlatans of Africa. And this is what he says in his article. He says, currently, all successful prophets in Africa are multi-millionaires. They have posh cars, splendid mansions, luxurious private jets. 
And the source of their power is doubtful because some of their stunt performers have confessed how they stage manage some miracle healing. The imitation of Jesus Christ is pathetic and embarrassing. The Son of God never extorted money for His healing or preaching services. Furthermore, there are numerous cases of sexual misconduct rife in these churches. Most cases of adultery, rape, and tax evasion are swept under the carpet, but some pop out in the media. The level of hypocrisy in most churches in Africa is astonishing. The gullible congregants still flock to such places of worship where some are trampled upon, sprayed with insecticides, forced to eat rats, grass, or snakes, and forced to drink petrol or oil so as to get cured or get blessings. This is just an article about Africa, but I'm sure the sentiment is true all over the world in many churches today. And the ministry can be a religious racket. And people, even these so-called ministers of, of Christ who make a financial killing under the disguise of ministry will have to answer to God one day. And every minister of the gospel, when he comes to, to lie down, to die, should be able to say, I coveted no man's, soul, no man's silver or gold or clothes, just like the apostle Paul did. The Bible ranks greed or, or covetousness alongside immorality and idolatry and warning that because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in your Bibles, please. Don't go there, Hytham. We want to hear the pages of the Bibles turning, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Look at verse 6 there. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Paul is saying here that those who desire to get rich get snared by these foolish and harmful desires that will eventually ruin them and cause them utter destruction. And he's warning us about greed. Greed is, isn't it? It's always easy to recognize in others, isn't it? They, they won't share with, with me. <laughs> but it's not easy to, to spot and recognize in ourselves. I remember as a child hearing my mother tell me at Christmas time, Gareth, remember that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I used to, used to think, well, then... Let me be a blessing to people. Let them give me presents. I want the presents. I want it to be the one on the receiving end. And I think we can all identify with this temptation. And Jesus warned in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance 
does his life consist of his possessions? Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, I'm sure all of us are familiar with this passage. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You store up treasures in heaven by investing in God's kingdom here below. And Jesus himself is the embodiment of giving. He left the majesty and the glory of heaven to come to this earth, not as a, as a mighty king, but as a lowly baby in the stable in Bethlehem. And he came to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty may become rich. Go back to Acts chapter 20. Paul goes on to say in verse 34 and verse 35, he says, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And then he says in verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. When Paul was in Ephesus, he had been an example of this. He had been an example both of, of hard work as well as of generosity. We know he had made tents. He had done this to provide for himself with his own hands. And from any of the, the, the surplus that he had made from this, he had helped support other men who worked alongside him in the, the gospel ministry. And if he had even more funds, we know that he had given these to people in the church who were needy from the work of his own hands. And giving to those in need really is the answer to the sin of greed. If you think that greed is perhaps getting a foothold in your life, then sit down and, and figure out what frivolous spending you can eliminate in order to give to the Lord's work. Think about what material possessions are, are clogging your, your spiritual arteries and remove them before the heart attack, before the destruction. And give those away. Really, giving is a, is a matter of mindset more than it is about the amount. And Paul was never wealthy. He never had a lot to give. But he demonstrated this mindset in the way that he gave of what he had. And givers are blessed because they are freed from the destructive sin of greed. Secondly, we see Paul had a concern for prayer. And we all should have this concern for prayer. Look at verse 36. It tells us, And when he had said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. When Paul had finished his exhortation to the Ephesian elders, it tells us, in reverence and in humility, he knelt down on his knees in the middle of them, and he began to pray. He began to pray. 
I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear what Paul prayed. We don't know what he prayed. We don't see any of that in this passage. But I'm pretty sure that Paul prayed for God's blessings on the elders that were with him. I'm pretty sure that Paul prayed for even the local church that he was entrusting these elders to shepherd and to protect and to serve. He probably prayed that God would keep them from false teachers, that each man would be a godly example to the flock, and that through them the church would be built up and that the church would expand all over Asia. And he probably prayed that God would meet their needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And I'm sure by just this act, by kneeling down and praying, Paul could have stood up and prayed. There wouldn't have been any problem with that. But it tells us that he knelt down. And I'm sure by this act, Paul showed them his dependence on God. And he reminded these elders that they could not govern the local church without prayer. Without prayer. People of faith are people of prayer because it is through prayer that we receive from God His bountiful supply. And just this week at our elders meeting, we all agree that we need to be praying more as a church for each other. And we have dedicated a day for this on Sunday, September the 4th. We are going to devote an hour before church during our family Bible hour, so it doesn't take up any more of your time. Please come and join us for this time of prayer as we pray for the families of the church. Please join us. One of the things that keeps us from praying, I think, is, is simply this, that we fail to recognize how utterly and desperately we need God's help. As Paul Miller, the author of A, a Praying Life, he, he says, if we are not praying, it may well be because... We are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all we need in life to overcome. Of course, we won't verbalize those words in those blatant terms. I'm sure it would sound weird and wrong if we actually <laughs> said those words out loud to ourselves. But I think when we're honest with ourselves, that's often what we believe, isn't it, in our hearts. And that's often what keeps us from, from actually praying. We make excuses for our prayerlessness by saying that, that we are, are too tired or, or we are, are too busy. And we let ourselves off the hook because in our hearts we, we don't believe that we actually need to pray. As long as we have enough money and as long as we have enough talent and as long as we have enough time, we can sort these things out. We don't really need God's help. Billy Graham, he once said, we are to pray in times of adversity, lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity, lest we become boastful and proud. And we are to pray in times of danger, lest we become fearful and doubting. And we are to pray in times of security, lest we become self-sufficient. Let's follow the Apostles Paul example here. And let's express our dependence on God through prayer. Our only hope for ourselves, our only hope for our, our families, our only hope for our, for our churches, for our communities, 
lies in God's grace. Not our sufficiency, but in His sufficiency. Not in our efforts, not in our abilities, but in His grace. Not in our techniques, not even by how much Bible knowledge we know, but by His mercy. And let's be praying more intentionally for each other. Please set that time aside on Sunday the 4th of September. It's the beginning of our, of our new semester. Let's make sure that we are submitting ourselves to His authority and not our own. Please join us. And lastly, we see in my third point, in verse 37 and verse 38, the concern that Paul had for love. We see the concern he had over materialism, the concern he had for um, prayer, and here we see the concern that he has for love. Look at verse 37. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him. I think more than most people, if you have been in the UAE for longer than two years, you've had to say a few sad farewells of your own. And saying goodbye is, is never easy. And today we say farewell to Shailen and Kristen. But here in our text, we have another very sad farewell. And these leaders had such a fondness for their leader, for Paul. They knew that Paul loved them like no one else had ever loved them before. Paul had given of himself. Paul had given of his own resources, his own material goods to see that these men came to Christ and that they could be built up in Christ. And Paul had dearly loved them and he had dearly served them for these three years. Now, as he is about to leave, these, these strong, masculine, spiritual leaders, what do they do? They begin to hug and they begin to kiss Paul on the cheek, much like we, we see the Arabs do today in our Middle Eastern culture that we live part of. And the scene that Luke portrays here shows really the deep mutual love between Paul and his men. Look at verse 38, the next part. It says, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And these men were grieving. And that they were grieving at the thought of never seeing Paul again because they knew that this, that this generous man had loved them, that he had loved them well. And they were sad. And Paul loved these men, not because he was a good guy, not because that was his job. Paul loved them because he loved what Christ loved. And Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, that Christ loved the church. And what did He do? He gave Himself for her. And Paul did the same. And I think the emphasis, the main point in this passage that Paul is, is making is Paul's reference to the words of Jesus in verse 35. It is more blessed to, to give than it is to receive. And these men were probably feeling discouraged because of this change and they were probably feeling a little overwhelmed and Paul reminds them and he reminds us that ministry, that our Christian lives should be about giving, not about receiving. Now recently I went to the U.S. and I got to preach at Cross Point Church in Columbus, Georgia. And on the, the Sunday evening they set some time aside for me to share about the ministry here at New Life Church. And one of the questions they asked me was, 
what is one of the biggest challenges in your ministry? And my answer to that question is the transient nature of our church, the transient nature of our community. And someone once said a transient church is like hugging a parade, always passing you by. It's very difficult, isn't it, to, to invest in people and to love them well, only to see them leave the country and go somewhere else. And sometimes we can be tempted to stop giving. We can be tempted to stop loving and just isolate ourselves so that we, so that we don't get hurt and so we don't have to say goodbyes. I was talking to Eden the other day about this and, and she told me about a conversation she had with Kristen when um, the family first arrived in the, the UAE. Eden said I could share this, Kristen. Kristen said to her that she didn't really want to become friends with her because she knew that she was going to leave Abu Dhabi at some point and she didn't want to invest all the emotional energy into a friendship. Well, famous last words, hey? <laughs> famous last words. And they are grieving today because they are leaving. They've invested in each other. They've loved each other. And I think it's important for us to remember that loving people well is not a waste of our time. It may be difficult to say goodbye, but it's worth it, folks. It's worth it. The Lord tells us to give of ourselves, not to isolate ourselves. And even though the bride of Christ is glorious and worthwhile, and it's beautiful because of, of Jesus, who is the head, we need to remember the bride of Christ is far from perfect. It's far from perfect. And even church members amongst us may let us down at times. But that doesn't mean that we stop loving them. It doesn't mean that we make excuses not to give of ourselves and give of our resources. God has designed for us to, to live with others in the community of love that He has placed us in. Turn with me again to 1 Peter chapter 1. Don't turn your heart them. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 tells us, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The Apostle Peter here has just finished a discussion on, on hardships, on trials. And then at the end of this, he he puts this call to love. And Peter begins to lay out how to live productively in the middle of these hardships. And Peter is saying something very powerful here in this verse. God hasn't simply called us to endure hardships. He hasn't simply called us to, to suffer as martyrs suffer. He tells us He has ordained us to embody the love of Christ through the community that He has placed us around. And this community of love for elders and for the congregation alike gives us, it gives us hope and it gives us strength. And even though the elders were weeping here, as we see in this passage, as they said their goodbyes to Paul, they were filled with hope. They were filled with strength. 
to continue in their ministry because of the way that Paul had loved them well. As we live and, and as we minister in this, in this broken world, God calls us, we who call ourselves Christians, to seize every opportunity to be an instrument of His love. And when church becomes less about me, and church becomes more about God and more about the brothers and sisters around me, then we start to love as Christ loved us. I was blessed again this week to see so many of you sign up for meals for the Onyango family. And even those who don't even know Collins or Daryl very well were willing to, to show their, their love to this grieving family by providing a meal for them. It was a blessing. Now, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he, he talks a little bit about love. And he says, when the Bible speaks about love, it measures it primarily not by how much you want to receive, but how much you are willing to give of yourself to someone. How much are you willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much of your freedom are you willing to forsake? How much of your precious time, emotion, and resources are you willing to invest for this person? Again, let me emphasize the main point of this message that we hear about in verse 35. It is more blessed to receive, isn't it? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. But there has to be a willingness, folks. There has to be an intentionality. And Paul is saying to these elders and he's saying to us today, that our ministry, that our ministry, I'm talking about all of us, our ministry, our Christian lives, need to be about giving. Giving of ourselves, giving of our resources, and giving of this gospel that has been entrusted to us. Not to be these reservoirs that just keep stagnant water. We are to be these pipes, these conduits that allow the living water to flow to others. And in conclusion, I want to make it clear this morning, that no amount of, of giving or self-sacrifice will earn you a ticket into heaven. Before you can give anything that pleases God, you must first receive God's free gift of eternal life that He gives to us, that we don't earn of ourselves. You must come to God as a poor sinner, unable to pay the debt that you owe and receive the forgiveness that He has provided freely for you. Jesus' death is the only satisfaction for our sins before a holy God. And He offers this unspeakable gift to everyone who will receive it. Receiving God's salvation in Christ is the starting point for becoming a giver. It's the starting point of being conformed to the, the image of Christ, conformed to the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we are becoming givers, although we can never match what Jesus gave us, we can never match what Jesus did or even think of paying Him back, we are becoming more conformed to His image and we will be blessed. Because Jesus tells us it is more blessed to give than to receive. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You, Lord, even for the example of these elders, Lord, that were left behind in Ephesus,
Thank you, Lord, for their response that we see here to the Apostle Paul who loved them well. Thank you for the Apostle Paul who loved as you loved. He loved what you loved. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be like the Apostle Paul as we learn from his example this morning. Help us to love what you love. Help us to invest in what you've invested in. Help us to, to give sacrificially in what you have given your life for. Help protect us from this temptation and sin of greed, Lord, that we would be vessels that you could use for the extension of your kingdom, that you could use for your glory, Lord Jesus. Father, we ask if we have sinned in this sin of greed this morning, we pray, Father, that you would grant us repentance, Lord, that you would conform our thinking, reform our thinking more into the image of your dear Son, that we would become more like Christ, Lord, that we would live a life well. And Father, at the end of our lives, we would hear you say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. So Lord, please help us to be these blessed givers as you have commanded us this morning. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.